Hey, welcome to Crossroads. Whether you're online or you're in the room. God is so good. He's so Samuel, I love uh, what you said earlier about, you know, sometimes it's harder, different times in our life, it's harder for us to really be able to fully appreciate and grasp that, God's goodness in our life. And today, um, as I talked to you for a few minutes about dreams, that um, God has created us to be people that have dreams, you are uniquely and wonderfully made. I want to read a scripture, actually, that's not on a slide. Um, as we've been worshiping, and I was, surprise, surprise, yeah, this is just a portion of, just to kind of affirm um, that we would all kind of start at a similar place in just being open to how much God loves us uh, uh, as we continue to worship this morning. So in Psalm 139, verse 13, I just think Psalm 139 and these verses are such beautiful verses for us just to consistently meditate on, 
consistently like ruminate on because it just so speaks to how God is toward us, God's thoughts toward us. And of course, the scripture is full of that. But I love this uh, Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, you created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And I I just want everyone just to embrace the thought of how, how wonderful God thinks every one of your moments on earth and every one of the moments in your mother's womb was, right? And God celebrates that. Today, as we talk about dreaming, some of us get apprehensive when we talk about dreaming. And, of course, you know, dreaming is, shows up in a couple of different ways and shows up a lot throughout Scripture both ways. Uh, you can talk about dreams just like the dreams that we have when we're sleeping. Uh, dreams can manifest in, like, visions. Um, and then there's the dreams that I really want to talk about are the dreams that God has put in you in your uniqueness. Even as we read Psalm 139, we know that God uniquely created each one of us and put a dream uniquely in each one of our lives. You were made to be the greatest you that you could be. You do realize that, right? Like God's intent for you was not for you to live anybody else's life, no matter how wonderful the other people around you are. God wanted you and wants you and wants me to live the greatest life that you can live. You be the greatest you you can be. I'll be the greatest me I can be. That's God's hope and intent. And God's committed to that probably more than, way more than we are. So the question as we talk about dreams is what do I hope to be true of me and us in 2022? It's just a simple question and something obviously Uh, that could take some time to think about. Maybe it's an easy question for you. Maybe you've already thought about it. And we've been been doing Ebenezer's over the last couple of weeks, and um, Ebenezer's is simply these places of reflection, this practice of reflecting. The Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 7, 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So why don't we just say that together? Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And now we want to talk about the Lord helping us as we move forward, right? Now, the scripture is so full of great people, and history is so full of amazing, wonderful people. Great people, dreaming people, right? There's the Moseses and the Daniels and Ruth and Esther and Mary and Priscilla and Paul and John and Joseph, so many different people. Um, in the scripture, I love the story about Joseph. If you're not familiar with, there's different Josephs, but this is the Genesis Old Testament Joseph. Um, if you've not read the story about Joseph, you, you really need to read it because what a dreamer. This guy's life is full of dreams, right? 
Uh, there's a lot of great dreamers in Scripture, but you, you really got to hand it to Joseph for being such a dreamer. Uh, in Genesis 37, 5, Joseph has a dream, the Scripture says. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now, if you're not... If you're not familiar with Joseph's dream at this point, Joseph's basically having dreams of his family kind of encircling him and bowing down to him. And, uh, you know, the brothers get upset here. But it's not bad enough that he's upsetting the brothers. He wants to tell his mom and dad that they're going to bow down to him too. Now, I just want you to think about your own family for a minute. And I want you to think about maybe, because here's the point, some dreams aren't to tell everybody about. And this might have been better for Joseph to not tell this dream, although it does come to pass as you read through the story. But some dreams are for you to keep and to hold, and some dreams uh, are to tell others about and to help them encourage you in your dream, right? Because you just think about your own family, maybe your own siblings, if you have siblings, or your mom and dad, and going to them with a dream like this, like you're going to bow down to me. Now, in my family, this would have been a great dream because we were all loving to be sarcastic toward one another. I had a dream last night, and you bowed down to me, Sean. Yeah, that would be a great dream. I never had that one. But um, tell Sean, Scott said he had a dream, and you bow down to him, and he'll laugh. But imagine that. So he's got the courage to do that. And I love the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is like two-thirds about a nation. It's about the Israelites. And then the rest of it is about one guy. It's powerful stuff. And it really revolves around his dreaming. So Genesis and then the dreams end up coming to fruition, like, like Joseph Uh, sees and interprets as time goes on through a lot of hardship. Now, the beautiful part of Joseph's story, one of the beautiful parts is because he has these dreams, he's able to go through unbelievable circumstances. And that's one of the things that dreams, the things that God speaks to us and invites us to, helps us to do, is be resilient through difficulty. He comes to the end of his life in Genesis 50. It says, and then Joseph said to his brothers, because of course at this point they were away from each other. Now they're back together. Joseph has helped them, helped the family, helped the nation of Egypt. He's helped the Israelites and he's about to die. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, the land that was promised. And he goes on And then it says at the end, so Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now that's really interesting. So Joseph goes from being a slave to Egypt. You got to really get a handle on this. He goes from being a slave in Egypt to being the second most powerful on the planet, which is the most powerful is the ruler of Egypt. Joseph is second most powerful person in Egypt. Now, I used to think that the reason people didn't live into their dreams, and maybe you think this or have thought this, I used to think it was lack of opportunity and lack of resources. And I don't say that to say that that it's not important for people to have opportunities and resources, but that is not why you and I do not live into our dreams. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, just realistically and honestly, you realize that's not the problem. Living into our dreams is not about resources, it's not about opportunities. Because we all probably know some really well-resourced people and people that have a lot of opportunities that do not live into any kind of dream. They live a life that you would say, 
And maybe that's your story. So it's not about opportunity and resources. Then, on the other hand, history is loaded with some of the most amazing people, Joseph being one of them, that lived into their dreams and started out, Joseph started out as a slave. There's people that, in spite of not having opportunity and not having resources, changed the world. Colonel Sanders, he was bankrupt, broke. When he was 65, he retired. It would be after that that he would start KFC. Finger licking good, right? I mean, Helen Keller spends all but 18 months of her life blind, and she is a prolific author. She's a worldwide influencer, and to this day has an influence on the world. Albert Einstein dropped out of high school at 15 and failed the entrance exam when he tried to get into Zurich Polytechnic. And then one of my favorites, Frederick Douglass. This guy is a rock star. Frederick Douglass, born into slavery, his slaveholder's wife begins to teach him his ABCs when he's a little boy, but then she's told by the slaveholder, do not teach any of the slaves the alphabet or how to read because education is empowerment. As a little boy, Frederick Douglass begins to teach himself how to read. He pays attention to the white children reading. And any chance he gets, he tries to find things that he can read. And then he begins to learn how to write. History is known to know Frederick Douglass as one of the greatest orators in the United States history. One of the leading abolitionists of our country. And he was so influential... He influenced every president. He was an influential advisor to every president from Abraham Lincoln until the day he would die at 1895. Started out with no resources, started out with no opportunity, but he had a dream. At one point in his life, the radical abolitionist, which he was a leading abolitionist, he hated slavery. But the the radical abolitionists began to criticize Frederick Douglass because he was having conversation with slave owners. The radical abolitionists of that day, their motto was no union with slaveholders. And his response, and Lord, give us leaders like this. His response was this. I would unite with anybody to do right and nobody to do wrong. Went into the fray with the people that he could have just discarded and did it for justice. He had a dream. See, here's our challenge. Our nervous system loves comfort. None of us are exempt from that. So we desire comfort. It's hardwired into us. And at the same time, God created us as people, beings that our soul and in our interior, we all love growth. There's something about growth and development that we desire. That also is hardwired into us. And it creates this tension. And it goes on our whole life. It's where we dwell. And if we live into our dreams, we have some ability to live in that tension well. 
because you'll always have a desire for comfort, but we know that to live into your dreams, you have to be uncomfortable at times. And we also know that to continue to grow, sometimes that takes an investment that is going to cost us maybe even more than we think we could ever afford, not just financially, actually probably way down the list would be financially. So what are our challenges? What are our challenges to our God-given dreams and greatness? First of all, and this was one of the things that lit me up when Samuel was talking about God is so good, is we never rise, people will never rise above the opinion they have of themselves. I want you to think about the opinion you have of yourself on this day. And that becomes a glass ceiling in your life. Most of this is formed when we're little children. Before about the age of seven or eight, a lot of this is influenced early on. But there's good news that comes on the other side of this. It's a challenge that will never rise above the opinion we have of ourselves. This becomes a block. It creates a subconscious effect in us. And we say things like, I'm not worth getting that promotion, or I don't deserve it because maybe when we were little, maybe we heard those things. Maybe in our in frustration, even good parents at times create these hindrances that will later on develop into something that is subconscious in a person's life. And it's at that place we create self-sabotage without even knowing it. We come to a place of significant breakthrough, it presents itself, and without really realizing it, we have been hardwired into saying, I don't deserve that. God doesn't love me. This is why when Samuel was taking us through that simple practice of maybe even experiencing the love of God through others, how profound that can be in our life. Because by meditating on scriptures like Psalm 139, we begin to open ourselves up to the indescribable love that God has for us and God's desire for us to do well with the one and only life that God has given to us. The second challenge is that we are creatures of habit. Now this is good and this is bad. The fact that we're people of habit, that these things are created in us, and we do things habitually, that can be really good. Some of us, for instance, do physical exercise, and it's really almost like a habit in our life. Now, researchers say that that our conscious brain, uh, we we utilize about 5% of the time in our life. Conscious. We make conscious, intentional decisions. That's our conscious brain. The unconscious brain uh, directs about 95% of our life, our decisions, the things that we do. And that's, again, it's not good or it's not bad. It's just we intentionally, in a very small percentage of our life, some of us are a lot more intentional than others, but at the end of the day, most of our doing and moving and responding is out of an unconscious brain. Some call it, we sleep awake. Now, maybe you've heard Claire talk about this before. This being directed by habit is we, we have grooves and paths in our brain. You and I have grooves and paths. We have ways that we do things, and we're used to that. 
And the thought used to be that you couldn't really do much about those grooves or paths, that that was just the way it would be. But the truth is, is there's a lot we can do. But this is the reason, for instance, that even though we know it's better for us to eat a salad, we'll go and get fries and a Big Mac. Now, our brain doesn't tell us, our unconscious brain doesn't tell us, don't go get fries and a Big Mac, and you can't use this on your wife. Don't say, honey, I, I just, it was my unconscious brain, took me for fries and a Big Mac. I mean, it might work once, but probably not. I've tried it. Anyway, but that's why we do those things. We just unconsciously find ourselves in a drive-thru. Or how about those times when you've been driving home from, say, work or school, and you didn't even remember, you got home, you didn't remember the last few miles. And you weren't drinking or anything. It was nothing like that. It was just unconsciously you have a route. Now think about your conscious mind as like a flea. And the flea can make a decision, I am going to march north. I'm going to march in a healthy direction on this day. And that flea commits and begins to march north. That is your conscious brain. Your unconscious brain, though, is the dog. And your unconscious brain is headed toward the garbage can to eat the garbage if you're not careful. And no matter how hard that flea tries to go north, at the end of the day, it's really going south because that's the direction the dog's going. This is why we have to redirect the dog. Look at somebody at your table or near you say, redirect the dog. This is why spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, this is why rhythms spiritually, this is why praying regularly, this is why worshiping regularly, that really retrains the dog. It redirects the dog. If the dog's going north, the flea's going with it, right? I don't mean to say that your brain is a flea, but it just seemed to be a decent illustration. The third challenge is environment eventually overrules your will. This is why in 12-step recovery, they'll tell you, change people, places, and things. If there's 10 of you and nine of you are recreational drug users and you're the 10th one and you spend enough time with those nine people, guess who's going to be a recreational drug user eventually? Believe it or not, if you like jazz and your car breaks down and one of your coworkers lives a few uh, doors down from you and says, I'll give you a ride to work, 45 minutes to work one way each day, and they pick you up and you're a jazz lover, but they're listening to Willie Nelson and you're listening to country music for 45 minutes, one direction, 45 minutes back, In three days, you will be tapping your toes. In five days, you will be humming. And by the second week, you will be singing on the road again. That's how you and I are designed by God. It's beautiful and it's dangerous. See, here's the point. You can put on warm clothes, but if you live in a freezer, eventually it's going to be cold. Environment matters. That's why positive affirmations at the end of the day aren't enough. You can stand in front of your mirror tomorrow morning and say, you are handsome, you are beautiful, you are good enough, you are smart enough, and doggone it, you can love yourself. And then if you go downstairs... And the person or people at the bottom of the stairs 
flood you day in and day out with, you are useless, you will never measure up, you can't accomplish anything, that's what you'll live into. One of our greatest gifts and one of our greatest challenges is that you and I are programmable by God. It is what is known as the law of conformity. So our response needs to be informed by some of this. Use that to your advantage to live into the dreams God has given you. Our response should be eliminate poor programming. If you're still naive enough to think that the media and the news media is actually news, you are living in Disneyland. It is called programming for a reason. It is not charity that they put different news programs out. And COVID, if it's done anything to harm us, it's done a lot of things. But one of the things is the fixation that so many of us have had on media. And quite frankly, it is programming a lot of us in a very bad way. I heard somebody recently say, yes, CNN is the constant negative news. It could be said about any news media. Don't kid yourself. If, if, you are, if you are immersed not just in news media, but in any kind of media, understand that that is what's training you. That is what's programming your mind, and it will not lead you to the dreams that God has for your life. Trust me. Well, Scott, what would I do? What would I do if I didn't watch some news? It's remarkable to me that eventually the news that really matters kind of gets to us, even if you don't turn on the media to find out. We all know that if you and I smoked, if, if we smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, it would be naive of us to think that we could be physically healthy. And in the same way, we cannot saturate ourselves with news and media and think that we're going to live into our dreams and be positive and optimistic people. Some people say, well, I, how, how am I going to know what's going on in the world? Well, know this. What's going on in the world is going to keep going on in the world, whether you watch TV or you watch it on computer or you read it or not. But to have this unlimited input of that kind of influence in your life is very harmful, in my opinion. The world will continue to go on. It's just what do you want to shine the flashlight on? If I were in, if I were in the Amazon uh, tonight, I could shine my flashlight on a, on a snake eating a rat and that would be kind of terrifying, or I could shine my light on a hummingbird being born. The point is, is if you're going to program or saturate or immerse yourself in something, immerse yourself in the things that will bring God's goodness and God's dreams your way. The other question is, well, if I've got to be careful about things like the media and also people, what about my family? Well, the truth is, is you and I can't change our family. And if your family is the root, unless they're hurting you in an illegal way, uh, that's your family for the distance. If they're doing something illegal, you need to get away from your family totally, right? But 
if your family's just say negative, like you may say, you know, my brother's the most negative person or my uncle's the most negative person, you need to limit yourself to that exposure. You can't change your family. You need to love your family, but you can choose your friends. Secondly, increase inspiring programming. So eliminate the negative, but increase inspiring programs. Programming books and music, environments, places, podcasts, stories, things you take in visually, talks, retreats, prayers, small groups, teams you're on, organizations you're a part of. Immerse yourself in environments that will be inspiring to you to do good in the world and to live into the dreams that God created you for. That is the potential of environments. Get yourself in a expose yourself and invest yourself into the things that support and inspire your dreams and your potential. And lastly, remove what doesn't belong. And this takes some help. We don't see what we don't see. We can't see. We have blind spots, all of us in our lives. It's important that we have trusted mentors, coaches, leaders, counselors, therapists, pastors, spiritual directors, influencers that we can trust and that can be holding the sacredness of the dreams in our lives and encouraging us in it. You know, the kind of people that can help you with unhelpful programming and voices. Maybe they can see some things that you're submitting yourself to that might not be helpful for your life. People that can stretch you and challenge you If you find that everybody you're always around, you're in full agreement with all the time, you need to question that. You need to wonder, why am I not being stretched by the people around me? Why are they not challenging my thinking? Because if you had everything you needed today, you would be living into your dream fully already. In order for you to get there, you've got to go through some changing. In other words, if you're always the head of the class, you need to find a new class. Had a conversation with Lorenzo, our grandson, uh, just the other day, and I told him we were basketball practice, and I'm coaching, helping coach the team. And when practice was over, I said, Lorenzo, I want you to know something. Lorenzo's in fifth grade. And I said, I want you to know something. I want you, when you go on the court and, and you're pairing up, offense and defense, I want you to always pick the best player on the other team to be the one you want to guard. Now, your coach may say that's not going to happen, but as far as it has to do with you, you pick the best player because they're going to stretch you the most. You challenge yourself. You put yourself in positions where you are challenged to grow. Are the people that I am around helpful? Are they encouraging me to be my best? Are they supportive and inspiring me in my greatness and my dreams? And are they midwives to my dreams? Are the people I'm placing myself into their care and friendship and connection, are they the kind of people that can walk into the chaos of the world and with God's help, remain centered, moving toward God while helping others do the same and helping me. 
the most powerful statement, I think, that Jesus made, and he repeats it 13 times for the disciples, the most powerful statement, and I think it's the most powerful statement for us when it comes to living into the dreams God has for our life. It's simple. Come, follow me. Be in pursuit of Jesus. Be in pursuit of the life that Jesus has for you and for me. Nobody knows your greatness better than Jesus does. And as you follow Jesus, Jesus is going to make sure that you're going to live into some of those wonderful things God has for your life. So let's stand together as Matt and Amanda come and um, Samuel and Lindsay lead us in a prayer that will take us from here to there. Um, these, are, these are prayers that assist us from moving from here to there, that actually help us move into our dreams and, and help us to see that uh, we are not alone in this world. And I want to tell you, I told you guys that it would be up there. It's not going to be up there, so I'm glad you brought your cheat sheet. Oh, glasses. Will you hand me some here glasses? You go. Here you go. Look at this. See that? <laughs> <laughs> I get by with a little help, right? All right. For I am only a boy, your prophet Jeremiah said. And you corrected him, saying, Do not say, I am only a boy. Well, correct me now, O oh God. Teach me not to despise my childlikeness, even as I leave childishness behind. Help my heart where it has grown weathered or cynical or jaded to be opened anew to my youthful hopes. Silence my own self-doubt and the fear of myself. Remind me that my judgments about others and even my words about myself are withering, but your judgments are good and true. Together, for you, O oh Lord, are my, my hope, hope, my trust, my trust O oh Lord, Lord, from my, from my youth. youth. Is this not Joseph's boy, the crowd wondered aloud? Jesus, the crowd which could not see you for anything but a child, sought to hurl you from a cliff just the same. Remind us that we are never fully seeing each other, nor fully seen by one another. Yet from you, nothing is hidden. Even the darkness of our false self, casting its shadow upon our faces, is light to you, God. Help us to face and resist the temptation to fear the mirror that others hold up to us. Teach us to see ourselves only in the light of love for those who speak what they cannot know. You alone know our frame, know our thoughts, even before we know them. And bind us, heal us, from our neighbors' woundings so that we may learn to be a balm for them as you intend together. For, for you, O oh Lord, are our hope, hope their trust, trust O oh Lord, from, from their youth. Bring us back to our first love. We love because you love. We love because you are and have always been love and have loved us with an everlasting love. Bring us not to trivialize the harm that has come, nor to deceive ourselves about the harms that will still yet come our way. But instead, bring us, us, our neighbors, and even our enemies, to the joy that comes in the midst of our suffering, the joy that is your presence with us whenever and wherever we do suffer, 
Bring us to the joy that was set before you in your anguish. Bring us to sing of the great love that lives between us and in us and always for us. Bring us to your praise, O God. Bring us to praise you of your goodness, your steadfast love that never ceases, your mercy for every generation, for all people everywhere. For you, O Lord, are our hope, our trust, O Lord, from our youth. So, God, we lift up our hearts to you and seek your care for us and all others. Lord, Lord in your mercy, mercy hear, our hear our prayers. We are tired, tired of losing loved ones, economic pressures, of going hungry, of pivoting our plans last minute, of political noise, of the cold floors in our children's bedrooms, of the lump in our throats of being dehumanized, exploited, betrayed, and abandoned, of all of the ways that sin has had its way. We are tired. We need your burden to be easy, your yoke to be light. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray for our pastoral team to be strengthened and encouraged. Thank you for their faithfulness to us to each other, and to you. Give them continued hope and vision and courage to respond to the pressures of our lives with correction, with encouragement, with provision, with grace, and hope. Lord, in, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray for our teachers, on whom so much of our society depends where parents have to work and depend on the role that teachers and schools play. We pray for their health physically, emotionally, mentally. We ask for clarity on how to love and treat teachers well during this pandemic. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray for leaders in government and civil life, that no matter what pressures arise, that justice for the most vulnerable would be our plumb line of the way that is set before us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray, O oh God, for our children, the differently abled, the sick and dying, the unemployed, those imprisoned. We pray that they be seen, seen as you in our midst. For what we have done to the least, we have done unto you, Jesus. We pray for moral vision that would not overly simplify their lives nor overly complicate the response of our compassion. Quicken us, God, to the work you are doing for the sake of those hurting most right now. Charge us and equip us to be your hands and your feet. Lord, in your mercy. And now let's just lift up those that we're holding in our hearts today. Say their names to God, all those that God is bringing to mind right now. Just begin to speak their names. All those that need the love of Christ, the salvation of God. So maybe you even just want to hold them in your consciousness here in your hands. 
And you might even want to just lift them up to God here and say, Lord, in your mercy, you hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, you hear our prayers. And now if you could just open your hands up, if you're all right with that, and just say, God, I'm trusting them to your care because you are good. God is so good. You are so good to me. And if you have your bread and wine or crackers or need to go back, feel free to just hold the bread in your hand. Are you leaving me, sweetheart? Don't leave me. (laughs) So grateful to be able to hold the bread together with you. And to know that God is good to me and to you, to us, in all the ways that we have seen and what we haven't seen yet. And if anybody doesn't have communion, if you just want to lift your hand up, someone will run it over to you. I know that uh, AJ can run really fast. (laughs) And so if you don't have communion, feel free to just hold your hand up. AJ's got you. Okay. So together we just say... We remember, Jesus, that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it. And you said, this is my body given for you. And every time you eat, remember me. And so together, Jesus, we remember that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame, knowing that there was a crown. You had a dream. You saw it. And so today we say, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus, we remember you. After supper, you raise the cup. Said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the covenant written in my own blood. And every time you come together, remember this cup of the new covenant, which is for the forgiveness of our sins, for the sins of all. Together we say, Jesus, Jesus. we remember you. We remember you.
it. God answers prayers. Are you ready? Bless you. Have a great week.